Welcome to the last episode of the year and also the last episode of season one. Firstly, thank you to all of the guests from season one for sharing your journey with the listeners. Episode one for season two will go live early in January 2020 with some more amazing guests lined up. If you have any guest suggestions, as usual, please feel free to send them through. Thanks to those who have shared episodes, I really appreciate it. Please continue to share the season with others who you think might enjoy the episodes. Now, let's get to the next, this episode. On this episode, I was lucky enough to chat to Andrew Wall. Like many of the guests before him, Andrew has an amazing story. Andrew is a runner, parent, a fighter, after being no- diagnosed with lymphoblastic lymphoma. In this episode, Andrew shares the timeline of his battle, how running has helped him, and what he has learnt about himself along the way. This is also an episode for the non-runners out there to have a listen to. Hope you enjoy my chat with Andrew Wall. Yeah. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Stimulate Run podcast. And today, I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Andrew Wall. Welcome, Andrew, to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. So, as we always do, I normally get the guests to introduce themselves. So, if you want to give us a bit of a, a synopsis on who you are. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm uh, English-born. I uh, came to Australia when I was eight years of age. I'm currently 45 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm living in Perth, uh, or have been living back in Perth for the last uh, 15, maybe 18 years now. Um, I did a bit of a stint in uh, in Sydney for a little while, uh, which is where I met my wife, and uh, we had our first couple of kids before moving back to Perth. Uh, we've actually got four, I've got four kids now. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I guess my, my life is all about my family, uh, certainly about the wife and the, and the four kids, and it certainly kept us busy. But I guess on top of that, uh, work um, has been very important and keeping fit has been important. So um, I've tried to live my life as healthy as possible um, by way of <clears throat> keeping fit in, in everything that I do. And uh, and uh, try and succeed in business and, and have a good, healthy home life as well. So that's kind of me. Oh, perfect. We'll touch on, I suppose, parenting. And when you mentioned four kids, I've got one, and I go, we always say, how could you even handle two? <laughs> so we'll get to four, and if you can give us some tips and tricks on how you've handled it so far, um, you're still going, so it's a good sign. Yeah. Where did your running journey begin? The running journey began really, I was always doing a little bit, right, probably my mid-twenties is really where I, I started to look at myself and think, gee, I need to probably do something mm-hmm. at least. I was not never a big on gym. I wasn't, uh, you know, I always played football at school and, and just beyond school. Mm-hmm. So I always played Aussie rules football, but then uh, beyond, uh, you know, a couple of years past high school, I really didn't do a great deal of sport at all and, and it was all about work and, and no sport at all. So in my mid-twenties, I, I, I kicked off a, a bit of running and sort of just started around the block and thought, yeah, you know, it's, I actually find it a great place to clear your mind after a big day at work mm-hmm. um, as well as, um, you know, make you feel good. And uh, so really it was mid-twenties that I, I kicked off now. Now I'm 45, so, um, and I've really done it ever since nothing has really got in my way to to stop me not that I've been an an extremely serious runner Mm -hmm. never have been um, apart from being part of a running group and and part of a running community which I really enjoy 
But apart from that, I've never been super serious. But yeah. I certainly have done it as part of making my lifestyle that bit fitter and, and healthier mm-hmm. lifestyle. In terms of the community and running community, where exactly do you fit in? Um, I just consider myself... Well, it depends. Like, how many years you want to go back. I think, you know, a few years back, I, I, I was really... I would never say I was a serious runner, but I would... I'd be running um, some decent times. I certainly have got a, a good bunch of friends that I can't get anywhere near, but I would consider when I look back, I think, gee, you know, those times that I was running was good. Mm-hmm. It was, um, you know, but I, I'd never consider myself a, a serious, fast runner. I've got plenty of friends that just run circles around me, but it was never about that. It was always about just um, trying to personally improve as best I can. If I was doing park run on a Saturday, it was all about trying to beat that time from the week before just because of the competitive nature that most people have. Yeah. You know, you just want to, even if it's by 10 seconds, two seconds, you mm-hmm. just want to knock it off from last week. So that's what my, mine was all about. For, and very much on a social level too. You know, the one thing I love about the running community, whether it be Parkrun or, or part of, uh, I'm part of uh, Perth Urban Runners mm-hmm. here as well and have been from its inception about three years ago, um, it's always been about social running i think we you know talk and laugh more than we than we run but um yeah that's what it's always been about for me after after we finish running we go for a coffee or um or breakfast whatever it may be and and spend some time with people that i really enjoy being with and that's that's what i love about running yeah. more than anything funny though isn't it like i've come from team sport world since you know since i could play sport and i don't think the, the social side was there but it's a different type of socialising, you know, yeah. you know, team sport, I suppose it's very much about after the game drinks and that kind of thing. Whereas you still do that, you have coffee because mm. it's nine in the morning most of the time. But yeah. it just seems like it's a bit more of a mature socialising yeah. um, and it's about your life, Yeah, you know, and people are really invested. Whereas team sports very much you play two hours or so after together and that's it. Yeah. Um, whereas you're running, you actually are invested in each other, mm. and you want to, you spend that much time together. Though that's probably the reason why. Yeah. Look, well. I think you do, and and I think what it is is it's a mutual thing that you all enjoy doing. So you tend to talk about it a lot as well. I guess the thing that I love more than anything about my running community friends is half the time you don't even know what they do for a living. Mm. You don't even talk about their day to day life. It's so much. It's more about you know how you're tracking with your running and what times you're doing and you know what are you doing to improve things um it's it's amazing that you just don't get caught up in in you know what people do for a living it's mm-hmm. just it's just not really important it's just being with them um and having a mutual interest that you you all enjoy um and i think at my age as well and there are lots of other clubs out there you could join to mm-hmm. to really improve the way you run and improve your times and um, and I guess what one more about is that social aspect and just being with other people that enjoy it yeah do you reckon that's what your community has given you the most then that social avenue yeah 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 it has but not forgetting my journey over the last three three years mm-hmm. it's also given me a real um, you know it's given me a fitness that I never thought I'd have mm-hmm. and that fitness has basically saved my life yep. even though I didn't know it to me it was running and enjoying a coffee and breakfast with friends 
but deep down when it comes to it, you know, if anything should happen, you know, and or you fall ill and you don't expect it, that, that level of fitness that you have could potentially save your life. And in my opinion, that's what's happened for me. Yeah. Shall we speak about your journey, I suppose, over these last four, a few years? Um, so you were diagnosed with lymphoma. Yeah. Correct. Do you want to take us through, because I can guarantee myself included, we don't really know what it is, yeah. uh, the steps involved. So should we speak early signs yep. all the way to where you are now? Yeah. Okay. So if I go back to um, February, March, 2017, mm-hmm. um, which is when I was actually diagnosed towards the end of March. But if we go back to, let's say, um, February, I think it was January, February, um, I ran the uh, half marathon in Darlington. Mm-hmm. Um, and although I definitely had signs of uh, difficulty on that day, I still managed to get through it. But I, I did notice that it was a much tougher than what I'd ever run a half marathon before. I got myself to a point where I was I was never a super fast half marathon runner, but I certainly, you know, after about an hour and a half, time of hour and a half, I could very comfortable keep going. Mm-hmm. So um, I felt like I got myself to a reasonable fitness. But after that day, I just felt, you know, something's not quite right. Uh, and a couple of friends also noted that, gee, you looked like you worked a lot harder on that day. Um, and... So I thought nothing of it, apart from the fact that that was a tough run. And yes, Darlington's got plenty of hills yep. in it as well. Still my favourite race on the calendar, though, yeah, for some it, weird reason. Oh, it's beautiful too, out there. Um, and, and, you know, post that run, going for a couple of other social runs with Perth Urban Runners, I just felt like the normal group that I run with, they were just getting away from me. And, mm-hmm. and, and for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know, all as I saw them was them just getting further and further away from me. And I, I had no understanding of why that was. I was in no pain. I didn't feel out of breath. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually feel anything at that point. Um, for me, where it all happened and the early signs were, um, it was actually my wife and I were uh, celebrating our wedding anniversary and um, we stayed at a hotel in the city. Um, on the Sunday morning, we went down for breakfast and, and we had a big buffet breakfast. And as you normally do when you've got a buffet breakfast at a hotel, as you load up and you yep. you probably eat, more than you should mm-hmm. and I just sat there and I had this indigestion come and I just thought oh geez what's what's going on here um, but it wasn't just your normal heartburn or indigestion it really felt like it was, I was in pain um, at that point to the extent where I just said to my wife I said look I don't think I can hang here any longer I've I think it's time to go yeah um, and she said well if that's the case then we're not going home I'm taking you to hospital, hospital. yeah and uh Although I pleaded with her to, you know, take me home and I'll, I'll take a couple of, you know, Nexium or mm-hmm. something to kill the pain. Um, she insisted I go to hospital and uh, so she took me off. Off we went to St. John of God um, where they uh, suggested that I had a uh, endoscopy, a mm-hmm. camera down, just they thought possibly it was a um, uh, stomach ulcer or, mm-hmm. or something like that. But... Um, what they said to me, because the pain had pretty much subsided by the time I got there, they suggested that I just go back to my GP the next day um, because it was a Sunday and it wasn't the best time to be having it at the hospital. Mm-hmm. If I was feeling okay, just go to your GP and get them to um, get you to the hospital maybe in the next day or two and just get a camera down there to find out what's happening. Um, at that point, I thought, you know, I'm sure I'm going to wake up tomorrow and just feel 
hundred percent and mm. and do nothing about it. Um, but for some reason, something in my mind said, you know, this probably a little bit more than normal. So, mm-hmm. um, I went off to the doctors, went to the GP, um, and again, he thought possibly a stomach ulcer that I was dealing with. Nothing to worry about. But here's a here's a referral to go to um, the radi- radiographer and uh, get an ultrasound. So he decided to do an ultrasound rather than a uh, an endoscopy. Mm-hmm. So I had that and um, I went straight down there to have it. And they, at that point, um, after a lengthy consultation, which was a bit unusual, they found some fluid sitting under my right lung, mm-hmm. um, which was very unusual to the extent where they had to get somebody else in to have a look at it. Um, and they suggested at that point, after consulting with my GP, the moment he knew that, he suggested getting a CT scan on my chest. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> excuse me. So he um, got a CT scan, and and then off I went. And I and they said I'll hear from the doctor if anything comes of it. Right. So the next morning I got that phone call. So so they didn't. Do you think that they had a they knew? And let you go, or was it very much okay? We wanted the. I think they knew. Yeah. I think they could. um, They saw what was on screen. Mm -hmm. They were asking me questions like, "Have you worked with asbestos before? Mm -hmm. Have you been exposed to chemicals or anything like that?" And and I knew that I hadn't, but I knew that was an unusual question Question to ask me. Yeah. And then, did they call you in with the doctor, or the doctor told you over the phone? Mm. No, he um he called me at eight o'clock the next morning, which sort of sent alarm bells off for me. Um, so I went into the doctor's surgery at eight o'clock because he mm-hmm. he he insisted that I go straight in, mm-hmm. and he just sat there and it was like a, a scene from the movies. It yeah. was um, everything went into slow motion, mm-hmm. and he said, "I'm very sorry to tell you this, but you know your CT scan has come back showing a a tumor, uh, basically the size of your fist on my chest, wow. and one in the left side of my neck." Um, <clears throat> and I said, "Well, what's that?" Yeah. <laughs> and he said, "Well." We need to do a biopsy, but from what we can see, it looks like it's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. I had no clue what lymphoma was. I was completely oblivious to what that was. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, look, it's a form of cancer. And of course, at that point, when you hear the cancer word, everything yeah. becomes very real. Okay. So um, the journey began. He referred me off to a haematologist, uh, mm-hmm. and um, the treatment started within two weeks. Wow. And how, as a person, were you straight away? Obviously, you were knocked back. Um, but then, as a person, are you the, the type of person who was like, right, well, this is game on, you know, I'm. Or. <coughs> yep. Yeah. It was, um, well, whilst still in the doctor's surgery, like I said, it was like a movie scene. So mm-hmm. I, I felt like everything went in slow motion. I, I felt like it needed to pick me up off the floor because. The one thing that people don't relate lymphoma to particularly is cancer, mm-hmm. um, although it is, and um, somebody is diagnosed with lymphoma every two hours in wow. the world. Um, it's a very uh, common uh, cancer. There's two major forms of it. It's non-Hodgkin's or, or Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. When you say Hodgkin's or non-Hodgkin's, then it becomes people start to recognise it mm-hmm. a little bit. And there's some famous, you know, people that have been diagnosed with it before, so it tends to tends to sink in. But how did I respond to it? Um, 
<clears throat> I guess once the reality check kicked in and it didn't take long at all, my words to him were, what do I have to do to get rid of this? Mm. You know, there was no question at the end of the day, I've got a, a wife and four kids and, and family, close family. And, I, and, and at the age of 42, which I was when I was diagnosed, I certainly wasn't prepared to and sit there and be knocked over by this thing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know how serious it was. I didn't know what my chances were of survival. Um, I didn't even know what I had to go through. Mm -hmm. um, he mentioned the word chemotherapy, of course, which freaked me out yep. as well because you hear some horror stories and, and so you should <laughs> because it is a bit of a horrid thing to go through. But um, I, I just had no second thoughts apart from what have I got to do to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. You know, my back's to the wall. I've got no choice. I didn't ask for this. Um, I have done nothing in particular to cause it. Lymphoma, again, is a cancer that's just... They've got no answers. Mm -hmm. They don't know what starts it. Um, it's just literally almost bad luck. Mm. Everybody has the cells, but something's triggered it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, my number was up in so, regards to that. Yeah. And, um, and it got triggered, so... Yeah, so I had to go through the process then, trying to knock this um, tumour on my chest and in, in my neck off. The, the challenge for me was when they did the biopsy, because it's a very common cancer, but the type that I have is called lymphoblastic lymphoma, um, and it's about 2% of lymphomas globally happen to be lymphoblastic. It's very, very rare. So you may find 10 or 20 people in Australia annually Mm -hmm. that will get diagnosed with this considering um, just how many cases do get people get diagnosed that's a very very rare case so the treatment plan was very different it was a very aggressive and fast moving tumour and uh, therefore they treat it with a very aggressive form of chemotherapy and then I suppose you're one day you're celebrating your anniversary yeah the next day you're going well how am I taking this on in a way, very fight or flight situation, um, but you seem like a fighter. Were you always that type of person? So you're always a challenge-driven person, you know, career-wise, um, in your personal life, were you always somebody who liked to achieve and take something on? Therefore, taking this on was yep. very much a natural thing. Um, I've always had a bit of a competitive edge. Mm -hmm. or when I say edge, I've had a competitive nature is probably the right word. Yeah. Um, I've been in sales all my pretty much all my career, so therefore achieving that number, achieving that next budget, achieving that next target is just something that I guess I've always uh, been striving to achieve. Mm -hmm. And although this is very very different to um, achieving a sales budget in your career, um, I think it, you, you've either got that in you or mm -hmm. you don't. And I never thought. Uh, I, you just never think that you'd ever be diagnosed. So I never expected to have to be faced with that decision before, especially at that level. You know, um, it, it was literally, um, for me, uh, it was literally, if you do nothing about this, if you decide or opt out of any kind of treatment, and people do, mm -hmm. because, you know, the treatment can be worse than the cancer itself. If you opt out, for me, it was... Um, it was not going to be a good ending and mm -hmm. it was going to be very quick yeah. based on the fact of how fast this thing was moving. Mm -hmm. So I just looked at it and um, I looked at it as I looked at, I thought of my, my wife and I thought mm -hmm. of my kids and my family straight away and I just, it was just no option. 
Yep. Just what have you got to do to get rid of it and where do I go? What do I do? Yeah. And um, after my biopsy, um, within two weeks, I was having my first round of chemotherapy. Wow. And off we went. If when people... Oh, we'll come back to where you are now in a second, but I just want to know, when people say to you, you're an inspiration, you know, because like, you would, you get people almost every day saying you're inspiring. I've had a look at um, your Facebook page. How does that sit with you? I find it very difficult to hear those yep. words um, because... All as I'm doing is trying to save my life. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to exist. And if people get inspiration out of that, then great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I'm not out to inspire people, yep. so to speak. I'm, I'm really just a guy trying to live. Yep. I'm way too young um, for anything to happen to, and mm-hmm. I refuse to sit down and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that to people becomes inspiring and that's great if people get inspired about it I'm, I'm super stoked about that because some you know people do need inspiration in their lives they need mentors they need people to look up to um, because everybody has challenges mm. you know my, this was my challenge but there are other people that there are just so many different challenges that people face with whether mm-hmm. it's mental health or whether it's another disease or or you know I'm just having a hard time going about my life you know everyone's got their own challenges yeah. and it, it doesn't mean to say that their challenge is any less than mine mine just happens to be another challenge yeah. and if by them seeing me uh, do what it's do what it's, I've got to do to mm-hmm. get rid of this thing and, and how I about, go about it and running was a, an exercise and uh, was a big part of that then if that inspires people to do it then I'm, I'm happy because yeah. um any place that you can inspire people in your life, I think, is um, just makes it another good reason to, as to why I push so hard to get through this. Yeah, and I think it's multi-level inspiration, to be honest. You know, because somebody could be seeing you who doesn't exercise, and they go, "What have I got to really complain about? Let mm. me get out and go and do something." Could, you know, it could just be even career-wise. They go, "Geez, I'm sitting here," whereas you know, this guy's treating every day. Yeah. as a purpose I know I interviewed uh, Ryan Shand who was 150 plus kilos and people look at him and go what excuse have I got you know mm. I can at least just get started so I think from that side it's multi-level inspiration and you're right you know you're not going out I can tell even by talking to you you're genuinely not going out to seek it because of what benefit is no. it for you as well um, but at the same time you're promoting I think the public knowing yeah. Um, so through your story the public is getting to know yeah. AU, but also what the common person will go through and the steps taken. Because yeah. there'd be families all over the country and the world going mm. through the same, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Um, so many, and so many much worse than me, you mm-hmm. know. Um, there's always somebody out there that's worse than you, even though at the time you might think this is the worst thing in the world. Yeah. It, it's not. There's, yeah. there's people going through a lot worse than you. I think the one thing that... Um, People have said to me a lot of, I can't believe how fit you were and you've got sick. Mm. How does that happen to a fit guy? You know, like, what about me that sits on the lounge and does nothing? I go to work, I come home, I eat dinner, I go to bed. That's my life. I do nothing for myself. I don't try, no self-health um, involved. I'm not fit. I do no form of exercise. Like, what hope is there for me? Well, you know, this is why I firmly believe that that exercise that I was doing, although I was never taking it seriously, mm-hmm. it was social. Um, I firmly believe it helped me get through this treacherous 
treatment plan that I went on because it was a grueling, horrible thing to have to go through. And I think if I didn't have a level of fitness and I had age on my side, mm-hmm. um, it, but if I didn't have that level of fitness, I think it could have been a very, very different outcome. Yep. So my, my message to people more than anything is, first of all, <clears throat> know your body. Mm-hmm. If something doesn't feel right, whether it's a lump or a bump or something you just know is not normal, don't sit on it. Mm-hmm. Men in particular are particularly bad at just going, ah, it'll be okay. Mm. You know, I'll let it be. No, if it doesn't belong there, if it's popped up that wasn't there before, if it's just something that you're just not feeling right, just go to your GP. Because the best case scenario is they'll say, we've done a test, everything's fine, great. Yeah. But even if it's worst case scenario, and there is something there, at least you've got it early enough. Because early detection is the key with this sort of thing. I was so fortunate that my wife insisted that I went to the hospital. Because if it was up to me, I would have driven home that night, Mm -hmm. I would have had nothing. And I would have eventually become a lot more symptomatic. Mm -hmm. And who's to say, based on the fact that this was moving and growing so fast, who's to say it wouldn't have been too late? Mm. Purely because... um, I just didn't want to do anything about it. Yeah. So it's just important that if you do feel it, just go and get it checked. It's just too easy. Yeah. It's too easy. You just It's really no excuse for not getting things checked. And the good point you raise, because in the last five to ten years, I suppose, men talking and men's mental health, but also physical health, has become really a forefront and it's a focus. Mm. In terms of what you used to be like, I suppose, say in your 20s, compared to now have you always shown a sign of being vulnerable or has it really just come recently yeah good question um i think it's probably just come recently Mm -hmm. you know it's uh i I guess i always looked at things as i just felt like i was nothing was ever going to happen to me and i think most people probably do think like that i think what actually happens is you have this Everybody has this barrier up in mm-hmm. front of them in their day-to-day life and you think you, you're bulletproof. Um, so, you know, going to the, going to the doctors because I didn't quite feel right was just probably not something, again, that I would have ever have done. And again, even when I was 42, I still have to be pushed to do it. And I think you'll find most people, particularly men, mm-hmm. will be in the same boat. They'll just go, it'll be okay. Yeah. And do you, in your friendship group now... Do you almost, I wouldn't say push the conversation, but can you notice it as well at the same time if there is people you can tell are particularly struggling and would you sound them out? Yep, Um, I think so. I would never, um, it's a fine line. So you don't want to, you know, be in people's face about it and you certainly don't want to um, encroach on on their personal life too much. Mm -hmm. But if, if I saw somebody... Um, within my friendship group that I, I knew that just something didn't seem right, then, you know, I'd be, first of all, I'd be asking them, are they okay? Mm-hmm. Is this, do they want to talk about something? Are they not feeling quite right? Is something up? Um, you know, that's a, something I've learned from this. If there's one thing that I've taken from it, I'll, um, there's, in fact, there's been a number of positives that I've got out of this journey. Um, and one of the things is not being afraid to, to say to somebody, do you want to talk? Are you okay? Because mm-hmm. I'm not sure if once upon a time I would have 
particularly wanted, not because I didn't care, but because I just didn't want to encroach yeah. on their life. But, you know, my thing is now life is way too short. It's way too short and it can happen to anyone at any time. And like I said, it doesn't have to be cancer. It can be even mental health is a, is a real problem in today's society and too many people don't do anything about it. So reach out. Mm-hmm. Reach out because it's so important. Just those few words can just make a massive difference and save your life, basically. And in terms of where you are now along your journey, um, we spoke pre-recording about being close to 100 chemo sessions. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you obviously mentioned it was really aggressive treatment. So to get to 100 in this amount of time, that that's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when will you go over the 100? And Yeah. Uh, well, it basically, like I said, it all started at the end of March. My first lot of chemo was April 2017. Mm-hmm. The first 70 rounds of chemotherapy were in the first six, seven months of that year, which was all my aggressive treatment. That's where they really blast you to pieces. Um, and that's when you feel at your absolute worst. And then um, the remainder of the time, once I finished that, I also had 20 rounds of radiation. So they radiate the chest and the neck Mm -hmm. just to give it a bit of extra treatment to try and hopefully keep this thing away. Um, And then since then, I've been on a maintenance program. So I have still have monthly doses of chemotherapy um, each month, but it's a much lower dose chemotherapy. So, you know, that the hair comes back, mm-hmm. um, you, you can function, you don't necessarily feel terrible, you still you still don't feel fantastic, mm-hmm. but it's not like it, it used to be. So I'm currently sitting, I think at about, um, around, I think it's about 97 um, infusions of chemotherapy. That's, I count that as every time there's been a, a needle injected into me and, and they've put chemotherapy in, it's been about 97 times since my uh, journey started. Um, and my last treatment will be in March next year. Mm-hmm. So I, I literally, I'm back in this week and then after that I have another four rounds to go and then my three-year treatment plan will be over and I think that puts me to about 102 rounds of, of chemo. Well, and then, you know, for the person with no education on this, yep. what happens after that? Basically, at that point... Um, uh, because I was found to be in remission at the end of my um, aggressive treatment plan. Since I've been on uh, maintenance, I haven't had the need of any scans at all. They literally just test everything by blood test now. Um, they, they tend not to like to keep putting you through the, the scanner just mm-hmm. purely because of the radiation. And they claim that you've had enough, mm-hmm. and I tend to agree. Mm-hmm. Um, so each I have a blood test every week, and, and I'm still showing good signs and and in remission so from march 2020 then i will then visit my um hematologist uh every six months where he'll give me a blood test just to make sure everything's right so every six months i'll see him um, unless i become symptomatic in the meantime if i something's not right and with lymphoma in particular it might be a lump that you feel Mm -hmm. like one of the lymph nodes have swollen um, night sweats, um, fatigue, uh, short of breath, that type of thing. If I was to get any of those types of symptoms, they're very typical lymphoma symptoms. And at that point, I'd go straight back. Yeah. And then they put you through the um, PET scan and see if there's anything that's popped up. Awesome. So I had a look and I saw that this year, I actually saw this event pop up. Uh, you raised $1,790. 
Yeah. Uh, the green lymphoma in limelight event. Yes. Correct? Yeah. Um, I dare say you want to continue this going every year. Yeah. Um, can you give us an idea of, I suppose, where it came from and then where you really want to see it going? Yeah, this year was my second lymphoma event that mm-hmm. I did. I also did one last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole idea, of course, um, I, I think, what, like I said before, one of the positives that I've had out of this journey is you just suddenly you just want to do everything you possibly can mm-hmm. um, to raise more, probably raise awareness more than anything. It was never intended. Um, <coughs> it was never intended to raise lots and lots of dollars. Mm-hmm. It was all about awareness. Lots of people don't. They just don't know about it. So doing um, these charities is just important for me moving forward. Every year I plan to do it yep. from now on. Yeah, And they intertwine quite a lot. Like I know I've interviewed um, Nathan Ash who uh, raised money for sarcoma. Um, and just the, the ability for a lot of the causes to intertwine and really work together is important. Like I know I saw you... Um, post about dry july on your facebook page and that's raising awareness you know even though people might go i'm giving up alcohol for july and really not actually think about the main cause of why it exists Mm. um but in a way it's raising the conversation yeah Uh, november's the same you know people go i'm doing november but do you actually know what it's about yeah which a lot of people don't they don't which um but it starts that conversation um and yeah i think the end goal would just be to people actually to break it down and go okay, hang on, what's Dry July actually about yeah. and what's the reason? Mm. Um, so whenever you see somebody who actually stops and explains, instead of it just being about not drinking alcohol for a month, yeah, it's really good to see. You know, you, that's what you did. You know, you really broke it down and like, well, this is why. It's creating awareness. Yeah. Um, so. Well, like I was diagnosed with it myself and again, I had no clue what it was. Mm. I was totally uneducated when it comes to that. And my main message is not it, it is of course the lymphoma one is close to my heart so and it's extremely common and you just blow you away if you just saw how many people are going through this journey um, and it's just all about people being educated you know what happens if I do feel a lump under my arm or on my neck or, um, or you know I suddenly I'm, I'm sweating a lot in the middle of the night is that normal well mm. no it's not if you don't normally do it it's not normal go get it checked out um, so this is all about talking about that and and the lime green is officially the lymphoma uh, colour yeah. and uh, we just try and make a big deal of it mm-hmm. and, um, and make people as, as aware as possible and if we can raise some money for Lymphoma Australia which is a fantastic organisation they have nurses based around the country as well that they've, there's a lymphoma hotline for people that are either going through it or have questions about it or post-treatment. Um, there's a lot of support there for people that do have lymphoma, but you've just got to be aware of it, and that's the whole idea of it, to make people aware. You, you the parent, uh, say dad and husband, did that change um, pre-diagnosis and treatment as to now, or were you very much, I suppose, the same person and how you were with your kids and promoting the conversation? Um, like were you somebody who spoke a lot to your kids yeah look yes I was um, uh, I, I think for my kids and this is the thing with the cancer journey is it's not just the patient that goes through this it's mm-hmm. the support people as well and your direct so- support person whether it's wife or husband or friend family member kids um, it's 
it's all about um, supporting them as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just it's not just the patient. The um, support people need just as much support as well. Um, prior to my diagnosis, my kids always saw me as um, dad that was uh, busy with work. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, um, trying to better myself in in my career as best I can. I either had a, a suit on or I had my running gear on. That's yeah. what that's what they saw. Um, their dad in um, and that was our life you mm-hmm. know um, and then suddenly I get diagnosed out of the blue and, and suddenly they're dealing with the dad that can't go to work anymore um, because he can't get out of bed and mm-hmm. he's got no hair um, and he's lost 10 12 kilos in a very short period of time and he looks like an absolute different human being I mm-hmm. mean from a kid's point of view that's got to be tough mm-hmm. that's got to be very tough on them um, and of course, they they don't understand like where what's going to happen with that, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so it's a very big journey, not just for the patient. For me, I was purely just like a pin cushion, just mm-hmm. do do what you need to do to get me better. But like, how do you how do you tell the kids mm. what to think? You yeah. know, I can't imagine what was going through their little minds at at the time. You know, like of what they thought. It's a really tough tough thing on the whole family yeah and were you i suppose did you almost say talking to your wife did you say this is how we're going to handle this um you know were you guys open with everything was it we're going to tell them everything that's going on or there's some things we just don't want to expose them to um quite honestly from the start we explained exactly what was going on Mm -hmm. um there wasn't anything there that we didn't share with them yeah um i didn't really want to keep anything from them because um i just I wanted to be open with them. If I felt like it was really inappropriate to be talking to mm-hmm. them about it, then yeah, sure. Um, they didn't need to see me on certain days um, when I was at my worst. I mean, I had, um, it, it wasn't just having the chemotherapy and being sick from it. I had out of the uh, seven cycles that I had, uh, you know, five of them I had really bad infections, whether it was where my port was in my arms, got infected. Um, I had retinal bleeding, so bleeding behind the eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my most of my vision for about three months. Um, I had a bowel infection, which basically almost tipped me over. Mm-hmm. And, and through those bad infections, there were times where I just wouldn't expose my kids to that. Yeah. Um, because it was just not necessary for them to see me and that it would just make, make things worse. But we were very open with them. Mm-hmm. But I've got to say, it was my wife that just took control of the entire situation. You know, they um, whether it was me, she looked after me. If it wasn't for her, I, I, I don't know how I would have done it. Um, but she took control of the family. She took control of um, the finances because, you you know, you're being pushed from pillar to post to pay mm-hmm. this and pay that. Um, you know, because I, I went private. But yeah. when you go private, it doesn't mean you've got nothing to pay, mm. um, especially with lymphoma. There's lots of gap payments you have to pay and they're fairly relentless relentless on getting their money um, I couldn't handle that sort of thing at the time she took care of all that she took care of the finances and still worked mm-hmm. um, and looked after the family um, and you know she, I guess she she explained to them everything that she needed to within reason I guess in a weird way of saying it they're probably they will look back at that now and also see inspiration but they will also draw on what you were going through and sit there and go you know we've seen my dad go through this yeah where i am right now is not that bad yeah that bad day at the office 
Yeah. You'd walk in the house and go, hang on. Like, you know, bad day of school. Hang on. So in a roundabout way, they were probably also using you as that piece of inspiration to go, we have nothing to complain about. I wonder, have they ever mentioned that at all? You know? Yes, mainly um, my kids are, my two girls are teenagers mm-hmm. and then I've got two boys, one's 21, 24. So they're, um, I guess the time where you get the most communication in regards to that, say in a birthday card or a Father's <laughs> Day card, where they'll actually explain to me that, you know, you're an inspiration and, you know, you're the toughest person that I know in my life. Um, you're the strongest person that I know. So they they communicated it that way. So I know they feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, we try not to talk about it too much now mm-hmm. because it's it's all about getting your life back to normality. Yeah. But they definitely do take... I'm sure as horrible as, it, as it's been, they have got some um, strength out of it, mm-hmm. as I have as well. I mean, the, the amount of positives and strengths that I've got out of this journey yep. is incredible. I, I'd never wish it upon my worst enemy. Mm-hmm. But... At the same time, I've got some positives, and I really feel like the kids and Sherry have got mm-hmm. some some positives out of it as well. You know, whether it's just, you know, don't sweat the small stuff type thing. You know, yeah. you know whether those little things that would normally challenge you and bring you down, now they just go. Oh, you know, is it really that bad? I yeah. think we can move forward. What truly, what inspires you, and who inspires you? Um, I totally. And again, again, this is you've probably heard me say it millions of times during this interview about the family, but it really is to me, my life is my family. Yeah, I work to put food on the table and spend as much quality time as I can with them. I run because that's something for me, um, it keeps me fit, uh, and I think, um, my family, especially now, like I just can't. I struggle to see beyond. I struggle to see in three months' time now. That's how I look at my life at the moment because, mm-hmm. you know, after everything that's happened, I can't tell you what I'm going to do in twelve months or two years or three years, um, because I I honestly don't know, because my life has changed so quickly. Um, so, everything about my life at the moment is my family, and as long as I've got them and I'm with them and they're healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're my inspiration that that's basically all i need question without notice because i think about if someone asked me this did you always think you were going to be a family man you know in your head as a let's say 18 year old did you go well i'm going to be married with four kids and that's my life and my family's my life and was that something you always aimed for or Mm. did you know that okay i want to have kids and that's like you know you're very passionate about your family you speak about it is that what you searched for Mm. no I can't say that I did Um, it was all about um, when I was 18 I guess like any other 18 year old it's Mm -hmm. about being mates were were everything Um, and having a good time but you know I was also fairly focused on work at that stage too I didn't want to um, just go nowhere and do nothing I think like I said I had that bit of that competitive streak that Mm -hmm. I just wanted to better myself and better myself but I never really saw myself as having four kids certainly didn't but I think once you've had your first you know mm-hmm. it's just like meeting the right person in life I think once you've met that person you just if it's the right person you just know mm-hmm. and you'll you'll break through brick walls to get to them yeah. if you if you need to 
Um, and I think when you've had kids, you know, it's whatever changes, something changes. And I just knew from that moment that this is what I was meant to do. This is what I was meant to have. Um, and this is where I want to be in life. Mm-hmm. And I've never searched for anything in life that was going to take me to places that they weren't going to be at. Mm-hmm. Because this, to me, it's just this is what my life is all about. In finishing, I normally ask people, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? So if I was going to ask you a question, how would you respond? (laughs) Um, I think everything within reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Remember that uh, life is very, very short. As cliche as that sounds, and you hear it from many people, um, I have really... um, Probably I'm in a very good position to say that life is very short. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought I was invincible. I certainly thought I was invincible at 18, and I guarantee most 18-year-olds do feel that. And even at the age of 42, I still felt invincible because um, I never had any health issues. My family didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if I could go back, I'd, I'd travel a lot more. I would have seen a lot more of the world. Um, I really, I really didn't mm-hmm. um, see a great deal of the world, and I and I think it's all about um, enjoying yourself, but within reason, and do it in a way that is a good, healthy, good, healthy way. Because realise that life can change very quickly. Um, yeah, so it's just about having fun, yep. but staying healthy and um, just enjoying enjoying life and I, I see young people going right I've got to go to school mm-hmm. you know we're institutionalized from a very very young age yeah. they go to school they think I've got to go to university I've then got to go and get a job and then I'll meet somebody and then I'll have kids and that's all the order that I've got to do it in mm-hmm. and I, I, I look at things very differently now you know I say to my kids I used to be very focused on my kids on what career path are you going to take mm-hmm. where are you going to go in life what university are you going to go to I look at it really differently now. I don't think that. I think what's going to make you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and go, right, I'm going about my day because I love it. Mm. And that might mean that I'm not doing the, the job that I want to do right now, but yeah. that's okay. Because if you want to go and study at the age of 40, then go do it. Go do it, yeah. What's stopping you? Yeah. Um, but whatever you do, get up in the morning and be happy with your life. Yeah. And if you're not, make changes. Yeah, absolutely. I think got the a lot of people can take that advice on hand and you know because you can get skittled at any time you know yep. it's like you said phone call bang yeah everything changes so and what have you missed out on it's like what what's your legacy as well like what are you gonna actually yep. at the end go well this is what i've done yep. so awesome thanks so much mate appreciate it and i'm sure every listener especially those who had no idea about lymphoma um, that was also the main purpose to get them in and find out but specifically about you because I suppose the people who are lucky enough to run with you know who you yeah. are but next time somebody sees you at a park run hopefully they come up and yeah. say thanks for um, your wise words and definitely there's a lot that I take from it especially as a parent so I appreciate it as well personally. Yeah no problems cool. at all. Cheers. Great. Thanks, appreciate man. it. Thanks. Well I hope you enjoyed that chat with Andrew. Very informative. Another of those moments when life is also put into perspective. Thanks again, Andrew, for your time. Striver users, if you aren't already, jump on and join the club. Feel free to also join on the social media platforms to see what's coming up and when the next episodes in January will be dropped.